0: Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. Well, just... uh... I might get to the second movement, I might not. So potentially two movements, but definitely one movement this morning in this story. And it is that Jesus sees the woman. Uh, This woman is unnamed. We're given a little bit of her background. She's a woman who has some type of crippling illness. Luke tells us that it was evil spirits set against her that she has been bent over double for 18 years. She's in the synagogue on the Sabbath. And Jesus sees her. He's there with his friends. Jesus was in the synagogue a lot on the Sabbath days. And it's easy to read Luke's account as literal, and it certainly is that. It's not less than that. Jesus literally sees her as I see you, as you see Me, But as Luke often does, but more importantly, as Jesus often does, Jesus' sight is very different because it is the sight of Father, Son, and Spirit. And we know that it's a sight that moves beyond just a literal sight because a little bit later, in verse 16, Jesus will describe her who continues to go unnamed as a dear woman. In fact, he calls her a daughter of Abraham, and she is the only woman in the entire canon of scripture from Genesis to Revelation who receives this title. No one else is given a title, daughter of Abraham. In fact, sons of Abraham come up a lot, but not daughter. Jesus sees and he names And I think in this movement in response to the synagogue leader who was worried about rules and worried about law and worried about the Sabbath being followed according to their own practices. And this is not commentary on um, all Jewish people at that time. In fact, a number of rabbis commenting on this passage have said this was their understanding of the Sabbath. This was not everyone's understanding of the Sabbath. But this particular leader sees her has probably seen her before. In fact, another commentator mentions that, he says, don't fail to notice that this woman is there and probably has been there every day or every Sabbath for 18 years. And she's not there with resentment. She's not there asking to be healed. She is there living into the rhythms of her life with God and Jesus shows up unexpectedly. And in his naming of her in response to the leader of the synagogue, I would argue that what he is saying to the crowd and to this leader is, you have one way of seeing her, but here is how I see her. And friends, this isn't one way of seeing amongst many. Because I would argue that Jesus' seeing of her Jesus' seeing of me and Jesus' seeing of you is the truest seeing of us. Jesus' seeing of you and of me is the truest seeing of us. It is not one amongst many. It is the only. Jesus sees her, but as I've already skipped ahead to, that isn't all he does. There's a movement here in what Jesus does, and I actually think it is a pattern we see show up time and time again with people in the Gospels, and for the last 2,000 years, story upon story of woman, of man, of child. And in these movements, Jesus does what he's come to do, which is to reveal the instinctual heart of God, which no one could have guessed, and no one could have thought. He sees her, but he doesn't just see her from afar. What does he do? He calls her. My dear, come. He doesn't wrangle, he doesn't try to overpower her with his healing, right? How many of us, in a movement of compassion, would see her coming in, and if you had what Jesus had, you'd be like, you're healed, and you're healed, and you're healed, and you're healed, and everybody's healed. Yet Jesus, for whatever reason, doesn't seem to operate in that way. He's oftentimes asking people, do you want to be healed? Even to individuals who are crippled, laying by a pool, it's a little bit of like a, (laughs) okay Jesus you're asking him does he want to be healed how could he not but this is one of the great mysteries that the same God who Jeremiah will label as oh sovereign Lord is the one who does not force who does not wrangle he calls her over sets her free We're told she is bent, literally doubled over. No doubt, an actual physical ailment, but I can't help but think as I hear those words of how many of us in this season feel doubled over. Maybe it is physically, but maybe it is spiritually and emotionally, relationally, You can even feel it in your body, of just the shoulders scrunched, bending over. Each of us doubled over for our own reasons, right? We each sit by our own pool of tears. Some of us are doubled over because of the enemy. Friends, we do have an enemy. Many of us, it is the circumstances of life some of us, it's because we have bent ourselves. We have done what the people of God have done. It's one of the reasons why God sends Jeremiah. Uh, in fact, later on uh, in chapter three, just two chapters after our reading this morning, God will say this. He goes, my people have done two things. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water. And they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. There is a bending that oftentimes we will do ourselves. And regardless of what has caused our doubling over, if we are willing to come, to ask, there is space for the potential of being set free. He sees her, he calls her, he sets her free, and then he names her dear woman, daughter of Abraham. Now, I don't know about you, but I hear a story like this and immediately the story I begin to tell myself is that if Jesus were to really see me in the ways I am bent, he would not call, let alone heal or name. That if my friends, my family were to see the way I am doubled over, that they would not call, heal, or name. And in fact, a lot of us have experienced that in our horizontal earthly relationships, that in a moment of vulnerability, in a moment of asking for need, maybe even within Christ's body, the church, you were not welcomed, given space, called, set free, or named. It said you were pushed away, Right? someone else's anxiety over your own being bent double, they can't handle their own, and your moment of vulnerability reminds us that we are too vulnerable. Maybe that's just me. Some of us experience that in our families, our family of origin, even now. And so we take all of those experiences and we see God through that lens, and I don't say that to shame us, because how else could we? How else could we? It's one thing to read the stories of scripture. It's another to experience it in the words we sang earlier, bound up together. There's a double-edged sword in being bound up, is there not? That we can experience these movements, the instinctual heart of God. We can also experience something that even named the instinctual heart of God isn't actual. And so we tell ourselves if God were to really see me in the ways I am bent, God would not call, would not heal, and would not name. And I am here on behalf of God and the church to remind you, as I do every single week, that the way Jesus sees you is the most real. That the evidence is actually overwhelmingly stacked. Not in favor of a story that says if you are seen, you will not be called, you will not be healed, you will not be named. But to say that the evidence is overwhelmingly stacked to say it's not a matter of if you will be seen, but beloved, you have been seen. That you are called by a God who longs to set free and heal, and by a God who has already given you a name. That is the truth, and it's one of the reasons why every single week, friends, we come to this table. We don't need something to fill up the second half of our liturgy. We need to taste and see and smell and feel the good news and the reality that Jesus is seeing of us is the most real seeing. And not only do we need to experience those things, but beloved, this is not less than a memorial and a memory, but this is more. In Jesus' words, remember me. It is as you would dismember something, something is remembered. It is where we come to be put back together by Holy Spirit. It's where we come in faith to say, I believe, help my unbelief. It is where we come to have our souls nourished. And friends, the wilderness and the wild places have a way of taking everything from us and demanding everything of us. And let us not forget where this meal comes from. It comes from the one, both human and divine, who knows vulnerability and power, who is God growing up as a Jewish boy, who would celebrate Passover and the provision of God in the wilderness. And in case you don't remember, God gave manna from heaven And the only time that manna finally stopped was when the people of God entered into the land promised to them. And Moses writes, and they ate the bread of the ground. Friends, this is the meal we come to to be nourished and to be in our bodies to digest the reality of God with us, God seeing us, calling us, healing us, and naming us. And we will do this until we sit down at that great supper, a new creation, where we don't have to be reminded anymore. Because that which would overthrow and pull at us saying, no, it's not true, all of that is gone. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.